Please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, we're in verse 7. also want to invite you to our Wednesday night study, when we're looking at this same text, but in depth. We'll go into a, an in-depth study on this uh, section. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Lord, here in Colorado Springs and throughout the world, we, we do pray for believers in the Middle East, that you would strengthen them, use them, keep them safe, that you would bring many people to come to know you here and afar. We thank you that you're the God who opens doors. We pray that you would open doors for us to to serve you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Something I've always enjoyed is old doors. Don't you find old doors to, to be fascinating? One thing that I don't have a lot of appreciation for is new doors at Home Depot. Uh, when, you, when you go through the aisle at Home Depot, you're like, you know, this really wasn't made that well, and I don't know why I'm paying all of this money, especially right now, for, for this door. But like old door, real wood, and the hardware that would come on, on those doors. Well, to, this morning's message is all about doors. We're going to look at two doors. And, and the first door is for the Church of Phil- Philadelphia, as God has opened up a door for them to serve and to be a light into the world. But the second door is negative in the fact that Jesus is outside of his own church. He's outside of the church of Laodicea, and he's knocking upon the door of his church, wanting them to open up the door of their lives uh, to Christ. Verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true. Philadelphia means brotherly love. It was the city of brotherly love. All of these cities are in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. This was the newest, the the most modern of the seven cities. It was established by the Greeks uh, to be a place of Hellenism, which was their Greek culture. So basically, they're trying to establish everything my big fat Greek wedding. They wanted their language, their their culture, their, their worship, of their false gods. The city was also known for its architecture. Uh, There was lots of of temples that were filled throughout uh, the city. I love how Christ emphasizes the attributes of his holiness and his truth to the church of Philadelphia. Each of the churches has an attribute of Christ that is emphasized. And I've noticed this, that when there's a local body of believers— God will reveal himself to those believers in a unique way, saying, this is my attribute, holiness and truth. And and one church will really understand God's truth. Another church will really emphasize God's grace. And and for the church of Philadelphia, it was holiness and, and truth that Jesus emphasizes. And what wonderful attributes about Christ. He is holy. He's the absence of sin, of wickedness, of evil. There is nothing evil or amiss in the character of Christ, but it's also the presence of everything good, everything wholesome. He's holy, but he's also true. Everything that Christ speaks is true, and we can trust his truth. His truth sets us free. He who has the key of David who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Also, what's emphasized about Christ is he's the one who holds the keys specifically the key of David. This is quoting Isaiah 22, verse 22. Why the key of David? The promise that God had given to David is that 
David would have a descendant that would be upon the throne forever. This was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was the descendant of David, the key of David, this promise that was given to David. God wants the church of Philadelphia to know that he opens doors that no one can close. When Jesus opens a door, no one can close it. He, he's the ultimate authority. Here's an open door for the church of Philadelphia to serve and love and share the gospel with others. But also, when God closes the door, nobody can open it. He's the ultimate one who is in charge. In fact, Jesus referred to himself as the door. In verse 8, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So this is the encouragement, the commendation that God gives to the church of Philadelphia, is I've set an open door before you. What's unique about the church of Philadelphia is there's no correction that's given to them. Five of the seven churches receive correction, but the church of Philadelphia only receives encouragement. And God says, I've set an open door before you that no one can shut. We're going to see in just a moment that this church is going through tremendous persecution, but yet God is able to place before them an open door. As Mike was sharing with us just a moment ago of the crazy times that we're living in and the chaos that, that we're going through, the church that's being persecuted in the Middle East, yet God is still able to open doors. I believe God is stirring, he's moving, and he is opening doors. He's giving us opportunities to step in and love unbelievers and share the hope of Jesus Christ. But if we don't go through those open doors that he's providing, we're missing it. That's the encouragement of the Church of Philadelphia. Here's this open door that's before you. I, I want you to go through it. And no one's able to, to shut it. I was challenged by this quote by Max Lucado. It says, when those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. Rather than helping the hurting, we hurt the helpers. The result? Church scrooges. Bah humbug spiritually. Beady eyes searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts on the nose below. Crooked fingers that bypass strengths and point out weaknesses. Split churches, poor testimonies, broken hearts, legalistic wars, and sadly, poor go unfed, confused go uncounseled, and lost go unreached. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. The next time the challenges outside tempt you to shut the door and stay inside, stay long enough to get warm. Then get out. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. When we lose sight of the open door that God has given to us, ultimately that's going to lead to being inward focused, and that inward focus brings destruction. I hope by God and His grace for RMC that He's opening doors for us. 
in our community to love people and to share the gospel. I hope for us personally, he's opening doors for us. Maybe this morning you're like, you know, God has been stirring me to take steps of faith. And there is this open door that has been placed before me, but I am terrified to go through it. And I have a little strength. Well, you're in good company because Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia, you've got little strength. They're not a church of great resources. They may not have been a church of great size, but one of their greatest attributes was the fact that they had little strength. Because when we have a lot of strength, or we think that we have a lot of strength in and of ourselves, then we tend to trust in ourselves instead of trusting in the Lord. But when we're weak, then we become strong because we're trusting in His strength. It seems to be that this is an open door for the church of Philippi that is bigger than themselves. They're not able to step into it. And so they're having to depend upon the Lord. So if you're in a place where you're like, man, God has put this open door before me, but I don't have the strength to do it, that's exactly where God wants you to be. Because it forces us to depend upon the Lord and depend upon His strength. So reading through the Gospels in my quiet time, and in the section of, of Mark where Jesus tells the disciples to feed the 5,000 out in the middle of nowhere. They're completely overwhelmed. We can't feed these multitudes. There's no place to buy food. We don't have the money, even if it was. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Jesus says, well, how many loaves do you have? And they found a boy who was willing to share his lunch, which is probably a miracle in and of itself. So all we've got is five loaves and two fish. That's all we've got. Jesus says, I'll take it. And they put what they have in the hands of Jesus. He blesses it, he breaks it, and feeds 5,000 men plus women and children. What do you have? Well, I don't have much. I got five loaves. I've got two fish. I've got a little bit of strength. Put that in God's hands and trust him and walk through that open door that he has provided. Also with the church, they've kept the word. They've been faithful to the word of God. They haven't compromised in false doctrine. They haven't left their first love. They haven't denied the name of Christ. The character and nature of who Jesus is. They've stayed true to Jesus and true to the word. Verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. The persecution is coming upon them from the synagogue, from the Jews. Those that have rejected Christ and are coming after the early church. And Jesus is saying, I've got those that are persecuting you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Jesus says, you've been faithful, so I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole earth. It seems to be a reference to the tribulation that we're going to read about soon in the book of Revelations. Jesus is saying to this church, I'm going to keep you out of the tribulation, this great hour of trial that's coming. Verse 11, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have 
that no one can take your crown. From Christ's perspective, he's coming quickly. From the perspective of all of eternity, he's coming soon. We try to think of eternity. We don't know when Christ is going to come. We don't know if he's coming today or this week or a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now. But from the perspective of eternity, he's coming quickly. And the exhortation is hold fast, continue to trust Christ, continue to stay close to Christ, and don't let anybody take your crown. There's these rewards in heaven that we get to lay down at the feet of Jesus in worship. Don't let someone take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Barclay, a Bible commentator, writes that when there were magistrates who served in Philadelphia, when they left, if they served well, the community would erect a pillar in one of their many temples to their false gods and put the name of the official on it. Jesus knows that and he uses it as an illustration, not of a false temple, but the true temple in heaven and says, if you overcome, I'm going to make you a, a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. Something else that's interesting about the city of Philadelphia is that it was on a volcano, just outside of a, a volcano where there was a lot of earthquakes. Whenever there would be an earthquake, everybody would flee from the city out of fear of the volcano. So they're constantly going in and out of their city. And in fact, in AD 17, there was an earthquake that destroyed Philadelphia. The book of Revelations estimated was written in AD 95, AD 96. So they had this understanding that their city was not permanent. Their home was not not permanent. But here, speaking of heaven, you shall go and come out no more. And isn't that an encouragement for us? That when we go to heaven, it's our permanent dwelling. We're not going to leave anymore. I'm sure many of you are military families and have moved many times. What a, what a promise and an assurance to know, hey, there, there's no more U-Haul trucks in heaven. There's no more unpermanent dwelling uh, in heaven. I write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name, Jesus writing on us. What is he writing on us? The name of my God, the name of the Father. Again, when we read of the name, it refers to who God is, his character and nature. So Jesus is, is writing the character and nature of the Father on us. He's writing on us the, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, that we'll study more in Revelations, that comes down out of heaven, this permanent dwelling that comes on the church of Philadelphia. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is God speaking to you through the church of Philadelphia? It's interesting timing uh, for me is I could use prayer. There's a door that I feel like God has opened, and if I'm honest, I'm a little bit nervous about it. On Wednesday, I'm going to start doing a call-in radio show on 100.7 from 5 to 6, and then at 6, get in my car and come over here for Wednesday night service. Really simple in format where people in our community can just call in and ask a pastor a question. The radio station's looking for a local pastor to do that, so we're just going to start with one day, one day a week. 
And I'm aware of my own little strength to be able to step into that. And it would be easier for me to stay in my little comfort zone right here in the sanctuary. So I would encourage or ask of you guys, just pray for me with that. And if you'd like to listen, go to 100.7, go to their app or their website and listen and pray for me while I'm doing that. But I hope to talk to people who are unchurched. I hope to talk to believers that have questions about the Bible and be able to point them uh, to Scripture. So if you were to sit down with a pastor and you're like, man, I've got questions about my life. I've got questions about the Scripture. So I believe that's an open door, but we'll see. God may close the door. But that's the fun of walking with the Lord, is sometimes He may open a door and you go through it and you're like, man, no one can close it. And other times He closes a door that no one can open. And the important thing for us is to discern, is this an open door? Because if God's opened a door, then go through it. But if he's closed a door, sometimes we really want that door to be open, don't we? And we try everything in our strength to open a door, and God's like, I don't have this for you. And so it's a little bit of a mystery. Sometimes God opens doors, sometimes he closes doors. But I want to just encourage you this morning is... If there is an open door that's set before you for the kingdom to love unbelievers, to encourage believers, go through it. That's where God has you. That's what he wants for you. Trust him and walk through that door and see him provide even though we have little strength. We go on to the church of Laodicea in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The attributes that are emphasized of Christ here is he's the amen. Jesus calls himself the amen. The word amen means so be it. Or to say, yeah, that's valid and that, that's good. If you're in agreement with what someone has said, you say amen. And Jesus is the ultimate amen. Unfortunately, we see believers getting divided over different issues uh, today. But what can we unite on? We can unite on Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the ultimate amen. He's the ultimate valid truth. And we say, we're agreed in Jesus. And so he is the amen. He's the true witness of the Father. And he's the beginning of the creation of God. If you don't look into that word beginning, you're going to come away with a wrong interpretation that Jesus was created. Jesus is God. He was never created. This word beginning means that he's the source. He's the author. He's the creator is really what's being uh, declared to us. It's emphasizing that Jesus is supreme over all of his creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. It's been documented of Laodicea that they had hot springs on one side of the community that would bring in the hot water on the other side of the community, cold water that would come off of the mountains, which resulted in lukewarm water. So Jesus knew these cities and what daily life was like for them and would use that as illustrations. If Jesus was writing a letter to the church of Colorado Springs, he might use some Olympic analogy because we're the Olympic city. Or he might point to something with with the mountains. These were were everyday things that were part of the life of the Laodiceans. But he's speaking of their spiritual condition and says, I wish that you were either cold or that you were hot. 
but that you wouldn't be in between. Verse 16, so then because you are lukewarm and are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The word hot in the Greek is zetos, kind of a cool word. You could almost make a brand of chips out of that, like zetos, right? But it literally means boiling hot. The idea is zealous, to be on fire for Christ, to be passionate about Christ. And the church of Laodicea is not hot. They're not passionate about Christ. They're not zealous for Christ, but neither are they cold. They're not against Christ. If you were to ask them, they'd say that they're believers. They're somewhere in the middle. They're, they're lukewarm. If you go to a coffee shop, do you ever order a lukewarm mocha? I'll, I'll just take that lukewarm. They offer it to you iced on a hot day. Offer it to you hot. You, you choose. Would you like it hot or cold? No, I'll take that lukewarm. Just not very good, is it? It's good cold, and it's good hot, but it's not good lukewarm. And why would Jesus say, I wish that you were cold or hot? Obviously, his desire would be for us to be hot, for us to be zealous for Christ. But he'd say, if you're not going to be hot, I'd rather you be cold. And I suggest to you this morning, the reason is, is because if we're cold, then he can deal with our hard hearts in a way to bring us back to Christ. We see that with the prodigal son. The prodigal son was cold. He was like, I don't want to be in the father's house. I just want the money. I'm out of here. Cold. Cold to the father. But his sin caught up with him to the point where he remembered the goodness of the father. And if we're cold, eventually we're going to reap what we sow and go, I had it good when I was with God. I had it good when I was with, with the father. And so the heart of Jesus is like, hey, if you don't love me, if you don't want to serve me, why don't you just go do your own thing? That's a scary reality. But after a period of time of us doing our own thing, hopefully we come to the end of ourselves and we realize, I want to be hot. But in that lukewarm state, we have enough of Christ to deceive ourselves and thinking our spiritual condition is fine. But we have too much of the world to really be able to enjoy Christ. It's a miserable place to be. You can't enjoy the world because you've got too much of Christ. You can't enjoy Christ because you've got too much of the world. And so Jesus is calling this church out of this lukewarm state. I, I don't want you to stay in this neutral ground towards me. I wish that you were hot or you were cold. What caused them to be lukewarm? Verse 17, because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They were wealthy, and their money actually lulled them to sleep spiritually because they had everything that they needed financially. They assumed that everything was great with God, that the financial blessing was a stamp of their spiritual approval by the Lord. If you looked at the church finances of the church of Laodicea, from a financial perspective, I think it was healthy. And this money actually became something that kept them from trusting in God corporately and kept them from seeing their own spiritual condition. Now, money in and of itself is not the problem. 
It's a, a tool that can be used for good or evil, but the scripture does warn us of a couple things with money, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. To not trust in the uncertainty of riches. That's why giving is so important. That's why God calls us to tithe, to, to give our first fruits unto the Lord, because it, it frees our hearts of greed. It frees our hearts from, from trusting in uncertain riches. And this is the path that the church of Laodicea went down, and they're not even seeing the fact that they're wretched, that they're miserable, that they're poor, that they're, they're blind, and they're, they're naked. So here's Christ's instruction. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. God says, I want you to have true spiritual riches. You have all of this money, but you don't have true spiritual riches. Well, well how do you buy gold from God? You can't. You can't. The only way to receive true riches from Christ is through humility and faith. That's how we're saved, and that's how we continue to walk in Christ. Acknowledge our poverty, receive his riches. Acknowledge our nakedness and receive his garments. Acknowledge our blindness and receive our spiritual eyesight. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, he begins it with this, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There wasn't a lot of conversation like this in the church of Laodicea is, man, I'm a wretch before God. I'm a sinner before God. I'm not seeing things from his perspective. God, would you forgive me? Oh, I'm so thankful for your grace. There was this arrogance, there was this pride that had come upon them where they were sufficient in and of themselves. So, so we contrast the church of Philadelphia and they're like, man, we don't have a lot of strength. We can't do this on our own. We're not a big congregation. We're not a wealthy congregation. And God's like, man, you're holding to my word. You're depending upon me. I've got an open door for you. Then you've got the church of Laodicea, and maybe they were a large church. I don't know, but they were a wealthy church, and they weren't depending upon Christ. They were depending upon their own sufficiency. They lacked that poor in spirit. And Jesus is saying, I want you to come to that place of being poor in spirit. And when you're poor in spirit, then you have those true riches, those things that are really valuable to Christ. Christ gives them white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your make nakedness may not be re revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Another aspect of Laodicea is they had a, a medical school. They were famous for their medical school. And so Jesus uses this illustration, says, I want to put eye salve on your eyes so that you can see spiritually. Please re be reminded, these are believers. These are believers that have drifted from Christ, and now they're no longer seeing the way that God would want them to see. Could it be that we have got poor spiritual eyesight, and God wants to put the eye salve on our eyes and restore to us a, a kingdom perspective? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Jesus loves this church. That's why he's rebuking them. That's why he is correcting them. Therefore, be zealous. The same root Greek word that the word hot is translated to. To be passionate, to be in love with Christ, and to repent. Notice this is a call to action, not a call to feeling. 
I think a lot of times when we're in this lukewarm state, we're like, man, if I feel the warm fuzzies, then I'll be passionate about Christ. Well, I really like the worship, so I'm passionate about Christ. God did this amazing thing in my life, so, so I'm passionate about Christ. Yes, God has done something amazing in our lives. You know what it is? He died for our sins and rose again, and that's true every day, no matter what our circumstances are. So we choose, we choose to say, I am giving my love to Jesus. I'm going to love him. I'm going to, to worship him. I'm going to draw near to him, whether I'm feeling like it or not. Jesus doesn't go to this church and say, hey, you know what? If you guys feel like it, if the emotions come, go ahead and repent of your lukewarm state. More closer to reality is we're going to have to repent and walk in obedience even though our emotions aren't lining up with that decision. We probably won't feel it on our emotions. It's a choice of obedience. And over time, our emotions will, will come along. If we're in a lukewarm state, it's probably the last thing that we want to do. But we're choosing out of obedience to say, man, God has called me to be passionate about him. God has called me to, to love him, so I'm choosing to, to love him. It's a sobering verse in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You would think this is written to unbelievers. I don't think the church of Laodicea is unbelievers. They're wayward believers. They haven't lost their salvation, but Christ is on the outside of this church. He's on the outside of their lives. Maybe some of you have adult kids, and you're estranged with the, those adult kids for one reason or another, and they've put you on the outside of their life. They're not allowing you to be a part of your life, their life, be a part of your, your grandkids' life. You're, you're standing outside of their life, knocking at the door. And Jesus is standing outside of this church, knocking on the door. Well, what if Jesus... We're outside of our gatherings saying, hey, would you guys let me in? It's possible that, that a church can get so far wayward that Christ isn't present and Christ isn't the chief and Christ isn't the head. And Jesus is saying, would you let me back in and allow me to have my, my proper place? It can be in our lives personally where Jesus is at the outside of our lives. We're a believer, but we're lukewarm and Jesus is saying, would you open the door to me? There's a famous painting of Christ knocking at the door. And if you look at it closely, there's no doorknob on the outside. Jesus could bust the door down. He could go all SWAT team if he wanted. Like, like that. He's got a warrant for your arrest, for mine, right? But instead, he says, I I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock. Will you answer? Will you answer the door? And what does he desire? He wants to dine with us. This speaks of very personal and intimate relationship. In this culture to this day, to have a meal is very special. They take time. During Christ's period, there wasn't table and chairs. You'd sit on the ground. That's why John the disciple was leaning up on Christ's chest. I want to dine with you. I want to be the central part of your life. I don't just want Sunday morning. I don't just want 15 minutes before you go off to work. I want to live with you. 
amazing that Christ would want to be with us and for us to, to follow him. But only we can open the door and acknowledge our true spiritual state before the Lord. God, I am wretched. I am miserable. I am blind. I am naked. I need you. I want you. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we conclude this section of Revelation where Jesus writes to the seven churches. Two applications for us this morning. And the first is, is there an open door? Is there an open door for the kingdom, for sharing the gospel, for loving believers? Don't miss out because you don't have the strength. That's the exact space that God wants to work in. Is there a closed door in your life? Trust that too. Jesus is the one who opens and closes doors. Then for us to examine our hearts and go, am I cold? Am I hot? Am I lukewarm? Man, if I'm cold or I'm lukewarm, I'm going to repent. And I'm going to choose to do those actions of loving the Lord. Sometimes in walking alongside of married couples, they'll share with us as pastors of, man, I, I just don't feel like I love my spouse. I don't think that we're in love anymore. And my encouragement is always to them is, is do the actions and the emotions will follow. Get your wife flowers because you're committed to her, whether you, you feel like it or not. Go on a date night because you're, you're committed to each other, whether you, you feel like it or not. Compliment each other. Build each other up. Thank you so much for doing this. You're really good at this, whether you feel like it or not. And eventually, the emotions come around. But if you wait for the emotions, you'll be waiting a really long time. And that may be exactly from the Lord, is I'm not waiting for my emotions. I'm, I'm choosing to, to love the, the Lord. We're encouraged in all of these letters to listen. So listen for the voice of Jesus. Is he knocking? Is he ringing the doorbell? Everybody's got ring now. Is he just standing there? <laughs> waving? I'm not trying to steal your Amazon packages. Like, I, I want in your life. <laughs> I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. And for us to open the door and say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be the very center of my life. Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you open doors, that you open doors that no one can close. You close doors that no one can open. Would you be gracious to open doors for us as a, as a church family and also for us personally? God, would you encourage those that are wrestling with doors that you've opened or closed in their life? May we not get inward, but may we be outward. May we understand that you've called us to be fishers of men. And Holy Spirit, would you show us our spiritual state? And if we're lukewarm, would you forgive us? And Jesus, we want to open the door afresh to you. We open the door as a, as a church family. Jesus, you're our head. 
You're the one that we worship. You're the one that we follow. You're welcome here. Be glorified here. Reveal things in our church family that don't please you, that grieve you, and in our lives. Jesus, we want you. Just even as Billy sang, that Jesus, you're our banner. You're the one that we lift up and you're the one that we draw near to. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.